You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. So I want to start off by kind of talking a little bit about Thanksgiving. Now, I know I didn't, I know it's been about, about a week and a half, two weeks since Thanksgiving, but I love food. And so, of course, Thanksgiving's a big day for me in the, the Jeremy world. And in the Havlin house, let me explain this a little bit. So in the Havlin home, we eat our meals early. Like, I'm talking early, early. I, I don't really eat breakfast. But in our home, usually if it's a day where there's not school or work, we eat lunch, or at least I eat lunch between 11 to 11.30. And if it's like 12.30 and I haven't eaten yet, I am a cranky human being. In fact, the staff have realized that if, if it gets past our kids who are growing up, and, and two of them in elementary school right now, they eat early lunch, and so we come home, and then they're starving for dinner. So our meals for lunch are around 11, and then dinner, we eat dinner, this is no joke, about five o'clock. Sometimes we'll push it to 5.30. Now, those of you in this room who eat dinner at like 7.30 or eight, you're like, you can't imagine a world that that would happen. Um, and yet, that's what we do in the Havlin house. And the reason I bring this up is because there's one meal a year in which we don't eat lunch at 11. We can't. It's Thanksgiving. Because on Thanksgiving, you need all the time to make all the deliciousness. And so we host Thanksgiving in our house, and my parents and sister were able to come over to celebrate with us. And there's a board of all the things that are needed to be made. And my wife is a phenomenal cook. And and and. and my mom brings over food, my sister brings over food, and everyone kind of like coordinates on who's bringing what. Now, for me, my favorite thing in Latin America, for all my Latino brothers and sisters, if you don't know, Latin America is like the, the, the food pyramid. The top of the food pyramid in Latin America is carbs. It's pasta, it's rice, it's all these different things, and so I grew up loving carbs. It's an, a phenomenal thing, and if you're on a keto diet, I'm praying for you, I believe in you. I love carbs. So on Thanksgiving... On Thanksgiving Day, my favorite is my wife's mashed potatoes. And I think that she prays over them. And I think that she fasts before making them. I think that they're favored by God. They are my favorite mashed potatoes I've ever had in my life. And then my wife has this ability to make bread from scratch. And when she makes bread from scratch, and this is just the, this is just the simple, lonely roll. You can smell the goodness long before you taste the goodness. I mean, I mean it's, it's incredible. So on Thanksgiving morning, we're obviously not gonna eat lunch at 11 because you gotta have time. And, and so you've gotta allow the things to be able to make and food is being prepared and you can smell all. And so this last Thanksgiving, my five-year-old son, around 11 o'clock, now before this, we even get laid down the rules. We said, hey, listen, we're gonna have to wait. Guys, we're gonna do a later lunch. You can obviously have breakfast, but we don't wanna not do an early lunch. Why? So what we're gonna do? We're gonna you to wait because mom is gonna be making and, 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 and Nini, which is their grandma and, and Aunt Hope is gonna be coming over. They're gonna be bringing food and we want you to eat the good stuff. But sure enough, at 11, my, my five-year-old tries to sneak into the pantry. Let me just show you a picture of my five-year-old. This is him. He's starving out of his mind. I mean, I'm talking like, he's thinking to himself, I can't make it to one. When is one? Is one tomorrow? Like, it's never gonna come. And right in the pantry are the goldfish and applesauce. And there's a granola bar, but he calls it the gorilla bar for some reason because he couldn't say granola. And you get those at Costco. We get those in bulk. Like Costco could not make enough of those for our family. And so here he is. He's like, and he gives me the cute face. This is his always approach. 
I want to have something that I know I shouldn't have. Cute face first. Cute face first. All right. And then I'm like, no, son, mommy's making food. You can smell the food. It's going to be delicious. You have to wait. And then uh, just here's the, here's the more pictures right here. Then he goes to silly. Maybe I can be so silly that dad's going to be okay. Then he adds up the ridiculous level notch. And then finally, when he realizes it's not working, he goes into the, but my life is hard. Dad, my life is hard. I eat lunch at this time. Why? Why would you do this to me? It's like all the stages of grief. Like, why would you do this to me? And I have to like, I have to tell him. I said, son, just go like this. You smell all that? That is food that is being prepared that is way better than what you have in your hand. It's just way better. It's so much better. And if you would just wait. In the afternoon. Who's with me? Yeah, a lot of us. And then you overeat. Talk. No, you don't do that. You're perfect. I get everything's great. Because we know what's coming, we wait. Now, I bring all of this up for a very simple thought. Ready? And it's going to lead us to where we're going in this, in this today and then even the next couple of weeks. Here's a, here's a thought. What you're hungry for matters. Now, I'm gonna tie this to us, to where we are today. Have you ever wondered where God is? Have you ever felt distance between what you're experiencing in life and God? Have you asked yourself the question, God, how come I can't see you? Why, why can't I experience you? God, what are you doing? All of us have. How could we not? Life is full of curveballs. And it seems sometimes like where we are in our position and, and, and posture and, and how we view life are, are the things that we face, that God can be off doing other things for other people in other parts. After all, God has a lot that he's in charge of. And yet I would wonder, here's my question, ready? I wonder if oftentimes we miss God, not because God's not moving, but because what, we hungry, what we're hungry for, we settle on. Instead of waiting for God, we settle for things that are much less than. And so this idea, this concept, I think impacts all of us. And I would even argue that to a degree, I think the enemy has a strategy in our life of always trying to give us things that are less than what God has for us. In other words, where God would wanna do incredible things in our life or he would wanna restore relationships and move in our hearts and bring healing to where we are, oftentimes what we find ourselves is tired and just, we filled our life with things that are not as good. And this strategy plays out again and again and again. And instead of what the Bible says is wait for God or look to God, what we do is we can come to church service and we can come already full of other things that have occupied our thoughts and minds and that have steered us away. And not that we're bad people. It's not about bad people. It's about being distracted, busy, hungry for things that don't matter. And if that's the case, then maybe God is working and we might miss him because what we're hungry for is satisfied by things that are just our second rate. And this is not a small deal. 
Because maybe today, right now, where you are seated, God may want to instill inside of you a hunger for him that cannot be satisfied by anything in the world. And maybe this is the thing that you need because maybe you grew up in church and you've heard the Christmas story over and over again. You've seen the manger scene. You might have even been in plays. You've heard the story so much in your life. You don't want to just go through the motions another year. What if this year God actually wants to speak to you? But in speaking to you or wanting to fill you up, you've already become full with other things. This is huge. This is significant to where you are. Because I would argue that the closer you are to God, the better your life will ever be. And I think the strategy that the enemy employs is to get us to settle for things far less. There's a heartbreaking verse in the Gospel of Mark. And every time I think of this, this verse comes up to me and it just, it's like this juxtaposition and it's at the moment of the crucifixion. And I want to just read this verse for you real quick because it highlights, it highlights how easily we can miss what God may be wanting to do. And it's simply this. It's Mark 15, 24, and it says this. And it says they crucified him. And we can see the significance of what God did. We look back and we can see, think of how many necklaces have a cross on them. Now, that to us is a statement piece. But think about what that really is. It's, it's an execution. The cross was a torture. The cro- it's like having an electric chair as, as a necklace. The cross was meant to absolutely obliterate enemies and destroy morale and to say, if you ever cross us, we will utterly, utterly destroy you. And that is where Jesus died on a cross. Now think about how good God is. He took a cross that was a symbol of death and destruction and turned it into a symbol of hope. But the problem is, You have the soldiers. And this is heartbreaking because, and it's easy to bash the Roman soldiers, by the way, but how many times in my life have I missed God because I haven't understood exactly what was playing out? Here you have Jesus crucified and yet so far away. And I would argue this can happen in church. Like you can come to church and you can be so close and yet so far away. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you today. I'm gonna challenge you today. Today is about you being honest with where you are. And let me give you another thought, ready? In this issue of actually settling for less, let's just be real for a second, ready? I've found this, that what you settle for never satisfies. So, so, so if you say, well, listen, I haven't quite experienced God yet, that's fine. Look at what the world has to offer. Has anything the world offered ever truly ever satisfied? Now here's the thing. If it doesn't satisfy, that means it's never enough. Let me give you some, let me give you some different, ready? Here, let me give you some ones, ready? Lust. Is there ever enough images to satisfy that? Bitterness. Here, here's, a, here's one, ready? Self-dependence. Pride. Entitlement, self-pity. You ever seen someone who truly just feels sorry for themselves? They could win the lottery and still feel sorry for themselves that it wasn't the bigger lottery. This list is small. And yet, I know that these words are in this room right now with a whole lot of other words. And what the Bible says is this, is that there's this word and it's beautiful and it's this word that sometimes can scare us and yet I find that this word is so significant. Ready? It's the word confession. 
It's this, it's this moment in which we are honest before God. We pause and we say, God, instead of waiting for what's best from you, I've settled for what's in the pantry. I've settled for the things that will never satisfy me. And we can come to church on a morning like this and we can look at the, look at the different things, names of God, and we can leave and, and not leave changed, not because God is not moving, but because when we came, we came with all of these things in our minds and hearts. Do you know that what goes on here impacts here? Your thoughts steer your heart. And if the enemy can get you to steer your thoughts to things that are less than, then it's gonna fill your heart with things that are less than and it's gonna fill your life with things that are less than. And then you come and you say, God, how come you're not moving? And God's like, I am moving. But then he says this, seek me first with all your heart. Why does God say seek me first? Not because God is hiding, but because he wants us no longer to settle for things that are less. So maybe this Christmas, maybe today, the name of God will be enough to awaken all of us up to say we're no longer going to go to the pantry. We're no longer going to settle for second-rate things. We're no longer going to be satisfied with things that never satisfied to begin with. But today, in the name of Jesus, we are going to go before the king and we're going to say, okay, God, renew us again to look at you. So this is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to pray over you and with you and for you. And between you and your creator right now, whatever things that you've settled for, Heavenly Father, we pause in the middle of this message to confess and to acknowledge that many times in our life, while you have been there and present, we might have missed it because we have been distracted. Holy Spirit, I pray your hand of conviction will rest over our minds and hearts right now. I pray, Lord, that lust or bitterness, self-pity, anger, whatever the thing might be that we have allowed to dominate our thoughts, envy, how envious we are of what we don't have, and for those who seemingly have. Lord, we bring all of these things to the forefront right now. We confess that we have been settling for so much less right now. And yet your presence is right here in this room. Help us not to leave the way we came. Awaken us to you. Awaken us to your greatness. Remind us this Christmas and today that you sit on a throne that is unshakable. Put a hunger in our hearts for you, God, that we might seek you first. In your holy name, amen. See, now here's the beautiful thing, ready? And this is what I love. All of those things that I put in there that, can, that, can, that, that are settling, can I just tell you something? There's one name above all that name, all that stuff. And his name is Jesus. He is high and above all these things. And so we don't go to someone who's not greater. We go to someone who's simply more. And so my prayer in this series is this, is that as we study the names of Jesus, the different names that describe who he is and what he does, that we would have a hunger develop in our hearts, that we would all of a sudden be lifting our hands again and be reminded that even in 2023, God is still good, that God is still on the move. We may not know what the future has, but we know the one who holds the future. We may not understand everything 
in our life, but we understand that God is present and that's what we need. And so what I wanna do, here's my prayer is this, is as we study God's names, is that we would regain our awe and wonder for God. We would look up and say, God, you are, wow. So, in the remaining part of this message, Son of God is this. And by the way, the next couple of weeks, as I'm gonna be sharing with you guys, I have several different names, things that God has been placing on my heart that I'm excited, and we're just gonna dive into it. But my hope and prayer for you is this, don't settle. This Christmas, God wants more. He has more. He is so infinitely good. So, let's do this. I wanna I want read this passage of scripture where we get the name Son of God, and it's from Luke 1.35. It's actually gonna be in the card that's, that's available to you if you wanna pick these up and don't have them. And we can look at this as a family, but this is what I wanna look at is Luke and then we're gonna, um, if we have time, get to a passage in Matthew, which is gonna be cool. So here we are. Luke 1, 35 from the NIV, God's word says this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. He's talking to Mary and he's delivering this news to her, which is gonna absolutely change the course of human history and the course of this young woman's life. And then he says, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I know we can hear that. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Think about this. God, who is infinitely more than we can wrap our minds around. He is God. He is outside of time. He is God. He's the beginning and he's the end. He is God. He's simply more that the creator of everything. God, guess what? Has a son. The Son of God. But then it says this. The Son of God was born how absolutely crazy is that? That God's son who made everything decided to actually be born. That, that, that thought is incredible, that God's son was born. I, uh, I love looking at houses. I don't know if you do or not. I drive my wife crazy because even though I don't think we're ever gonna move from the house we're in, I'm always looking at houses still. I'll show her houses. I'll be like, I love houses. I'm fascinated by architecture. I'm fascinated by real estate. And I'm just like looking at houses. I like looking at houses that there's no way I would ever be able to afford in like a trillion years. Like I'll do tours of like penthouses in New York City. I'll look at homes in like Jackson Hole. I'll look at homes overseas. And recently I came across a house. And by the way, this is like, as I'm falling asleep, I'm doing like rabbit hole YouTube videos. I can't, you would never do that because immediately you just, yeah. But me, I'll watch videos. And one of the things I'd watch is, is home tours. And I came across a house, which I know is kind of random, but I came across a house which is described as probably the most expensive house in the world. And they say probably because they say a lot of this house is actually priceless. You couldn't put a price on these things. And, and it's, it's so expensive even that someone made a nine-figure offer on this house, which by the way, that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And the owner of this house turned it down. And it's the most expensive house I'd never heard of. It's in France, it's in Normandy, and it's called the Champs de, uh, just the Chateau de Champs de Batailles. I probably butchered that massively. It's 120 acres, and the same person who made Versailles designed this house. And I'm gonna show you some pictures of this house so we can go there. It's ridiculous. It has multiple complexes. It has this whole Indian palace inside of this one. You can kind of see it to the left there. You have to get to the Indian palace by, by riding in a boat. It, it's insane. It's owned by a man named Jacques and he is an interior designer. He bought it in 1992 and has been restoring it for the last 31 years. And he has spent insane money. To give you an idea, let me show you the next picture if we can. This is, these fountains right here, 
You can swim in that water. And they said, whenever you turn these fountains on, it costs 20,000 euros to turn them on and run them for a day, which to me is crazy. I'm like, how did that? Anyway, just, just the opulence is absolutely insane. Now let me show you some, just some of the interior spaces. Everything here is not bought on Etsy, or Etsy, on Etsy. I don't know what Etsy is. That sounds like a website you probably shouldn't visit. I don't know. Everything in here is real. Like it's not, it's not like, there's not, whatever the, I'm trying to think of the word and I can't think of it. Whenever something's, count, not counterfeit, but like a, whatever, yeah. Every, yeah, it is. Everything in here is authentic. There are pieces that Napoleon owned, that kings of France have owned. Just to give you some context, he sold two candlesticks for $133,000 out of his house. I'm talking like extreme levels. I mean, let's, let's go to one more picture. I think Owen right here. It's like, and every room is insanity. You see the connection I'm already making. The angel appears to Mary and he says, you're gonna give birth to the son of God. And you think of opulence that keeps you up at night where you don't know if you're ever gonna make it through. There is none of that. He left, this, this only gives us, the son of God left all of that behind to be born in a manger. The son of God left something so much more than this. He left it all, every bit of it. He walked away from it and what did he do? He was born in a manger. And I've lived in six countries. I have seen poverty, extreme poverty. I've been in places in which people literally lived in trash dumps and they made houses out of the trash that came in and they would find pieces and they would build homes out of that. And it was just nasty and, and hard and disgusting and it was gut-wrenching to be able to witness. I have been in those environments. Jesus left everything from heaven. Let me give you some thoughts of why this should matter to us again. Ready? because it tells us that he understands. The fact that he is born tells us that he understands. Hebrews tells us this, that God can empathize with us because he's been where we are. How good is that? I remember when we, when we a couple of years ago, when we moved from Simpsonville to Fountain Inn and our kids were gonna be changing school districts and our daughter was gonna be going from the first grade into the second grade. And I grew up moving so much in my life, so much in my life I've moved. To give you an idea, I went to four different high schools. So I know what it's like to be in different environments. And I remember when we were moving and my daughter was gonna be switching schools and leaving her old friends that she had made for the previous two years and going to a completely new environment. And she was wondering, how's it gonna be? And what's the school gonna be like? And am I gonna have friends? And I remember talking to her and I said, sweetie, listen, I've been there and I know you and I know you're gonna be okay. And maybe, just maybe, you're gonna end up finding But when we pray to him, he can empathize with us. Why? Now Hebrews says this, he experienced everything we experienced and yet he did not sin. And yet God knows what it is like to be in your shoes. How good is the son of God? And yet we wonder, we, we wonder, God, where are you? Are you distracted? And yet when we look in the Bible, we see Jesus. He understands where we are. Let me tell you something else about this. Ready? The fact that he was born tells us this, that God cares. Because when he should have walked away, he came right to where we are. 
Oh, he is good. He is infinitely good that God cares so deeply and so movingly about where we are that any argument we could have about God, don't you care about what I'm going on in my life? Listen, those questions are deep and sincere. Do you know where you find the answer to that question? At the cross. And any time I've ever taken that question, that question, God, do you not care about what's going on in my life? You know where I go? I go to the cross and I see the son of God there. I thought, ready? About this fact that God is born, the son of God is born. Ready? And this is a unique one, ready? We can understand him. Now we can't wrap our minds around the fullness of God. That's impossible. He is God and we are limited. But the Bible says this in Colossians. It says that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. Do you know want to know what God is like and you can't see him? You look at Jesus. Now we can in some way, shape, or form, how does God love people? We can see that. How does God deal with, with, with people who reject him? We can look at that. How does God handle, you name the issue, we look at Jesus. We can somehow wrap our minds around it. Why? All because God was born. The son of God was born. This impacts our daily life. If we engage with who God is and stop settling for everything less than that because he is the son of God. He was born. And let me, give you, let me give you one more thought and then I'm gonna bring the worship team up here, ready? The fact that he was born is significant. But then it says that the holy one to be born is with worship. But the Bible says this, the son of God, the son of God. I hope you're having, honestly, a great time of year. I do. But it's likely that it's maybe even if you're having a good time of year, you're dealing with some significant stress. But I also know that there's people who are in the middle of a massive storm right now. People who have to navigate some heavy waters and are wondering, what well, God, how do I do this and how do I navigate through this and what do I do? So what I wanna do is take you to a story that you know and know well. It's Jesus walking on the water. And I want you to see the disciples look and see how it ends for them and how they see and experience this. Matthew chapter 14, and the verses are not gonna be on the screen. I'm gonna start reading in verse 25. God's word says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. This is the fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said, and then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And he climbed into the boat. The wind died down. And then verse 33. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You have a story. By the way, you read earlier than this, Jesus does one of the biggest miracles. It's the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples witnessed him literally filled a, a fill, feed, that's the word I'm looking for, a stadium full of people with five. And in that, Peter goes out to meet Jesus and then he begins to sink. But then this happens. Jesus gets in the boat and the wind stops. The waves stop. And they look at him and they go, surely no one else is like you. You are the son of God, the one who is able to stop the wind and the waves. Do you know the one who's able to combat lust? 
Do you know the one who's able to destroy addiction? Do you know the one who can restore a heart? Do you know the one who can bring a marriage back from the brink? Do you know the one who can take your wounds and heal them? Do you know the one? His name is the Son of God. And whatever storm you might be facing, you came into church today wondering, how am I gonna make it through this? The best way to make it through it is to be with the one who is the Son of God. And it says this, they worshiped him. We don't worship God because we have it figured out, because our lives are all put together. We worship God because he is the Son of God. Kids were having bad dreams, they weren't sleeping. Navigating through some different things, dynamics and some heavy things and trying to figure things out. And I remember thinking to myself, you know what? The enemy is trying to actually just come against this family. And I got mad. I said, no. So we got our family together. And we said, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the situation. I'm sick of things coming against our home. Anyone sick of things coming against their home? I'm sick of it. So he said, in the name of Jesus. And we just began to pray. We prayed as a family. And then just the calm settled over the house. And then exactly a week later, we're seated there around the dinner table talking as a family. And my middle son, who God has a calling on his life, asked to accept Christ into his heart. And I led my son to believe and follow Jesus. And I've led people into Christ before, but there's something about leading your own son. And in my mind, here's what it was, ready? There was a storm coming against our family. You know what we did? We cried out to the name Jesus. And you know what happened? He settled the storm. And then a week later, my son was ready to receive Christ in his heart. Here's my point to you. You came to church today. And I don't know if you are facing a storm or not, but I hope this. If things are going great, you still need Jesus in the boat, by the way. Because if there's not a storm now, it will come. But you know what we need to do today? We need to understand that faith is not pretending or wishing upon a star. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is and not settling for anything less this Christmas. So how many of you are ready to believe that he is the son of God today? That the storms that you might be facing, that he is with you, that he is greater, he's mightier, he's simply more. He's the son of God who was born into this world so that we might be set free. I'm gonna invite you to stand where you are. And we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna end service with worship. But you know what my prayer for you is? We're gonna actually have two of our prayer team down in front. We're gonna have two prayer team down in the back. If you need prayer for anything in your life, while worship is happening, you know what we're gonna be doing? We're gonna be praying. And this is what I'm, I'm challenging you to be honest about where you are. Because right now, who cares what anyone else thinks? By the way, if you don't, if you don't, Want to worry about what anyone else thinks? Just close your eyes and then they can't see you. If you do this, no one can see you. Everything's great. As the prayer team, Tim and Carol are gonna be down here in just a second and then in the back. If you need prayer for anything, you know what I believe? Go and declare that he is the son of God. His name is above every other name. Get prayer, cry out to him, worship his name. This Christmas, let us regain our belief that he is who he says he is and he is worthy of our praise. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.